0: America is an amazing country filled with wonderful people who do incredible things. But too often the media and liberal politicians ignore big parts of our nation and the people who make it work. So I'm speaking with leaders and policymakers who deal with real problems every day. I'm Ronna McDaniel and this is Real America. Today I'm going to be speaking with Wisconsin U.S. Senator Ron Johnson. We're gonna cover everything from Biden's job as president and historic inflation to border security, rising crime, and election integrity. Welcome to Real America, Senator Johnson. I'm so excited to have you. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about you and your background. Your parents were farmers, is that right? And then you had jobs like every other teenage boy, mowing lawns, shoveling snow, and then you graduated from high school early. Tell me a little bit about that and sure. your
1: childhood. Well, first of all, people say you're a really hard worker. so well, that's because my mom made me. <laughs> did <Okay>? she? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, we, we mowed, I mowed lawns, shoveled snow, caddied, did all that kind of I'm stuff. I'm asking
0: you this stuff so I can play this for my teenage son. So. I understand.
1: <laughs> well, listen to your mom. Okay. okay. <laughs> um So, you yeah, know, I'm not proud of the fact, but I lied about my age at the age of 15 so I could actually get a – a real what I always call a tax paying job. I love that. So I was dishwasher at a Walgreens grill. Then I was a, a soda jerk. That's people make malts. Yep. Uh, then a fry cook. And before I, was, I reached the age of 16, I was a night manager.
0: How, and yeah. you did that while going to school?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, that's just during high school. And then I, I had a Latin teacher who knew I was pretty bored. And okay. my, my first week of uh, my senior year, I was walking by her class and she said, hey, Ron, get in here. And she said, you know, you don't have to be here. So what are really? you talking about? you said, I know you don't like school. You know, just, you know, apply to the University of Minnesota. So you can do that. And so I went up, taught the counselor, and I applied to the University of Minnesota, and they let me in kind of on a probationary basis taking night courses. So I worked full-time during my senior year of high school, which should okay. have been my senior year. So I, I never graduated. I just, you know, dropped out. Uh, but took night courses, aced those, so they admitted me the, the, the following fall. Then I, I worked full-time. All the way through college, I took a lot of night courses, a lot of independent study, um, and uh, left college with seven thousand dollars in the bank. That's now, again, you, you could do it back then because I think quarterly tuition was one hundred fifty bucks. Uh, books were about one hundred fifty dollars if you use the if you bought the used ones, which I always did because then you'd go into the, the bookstore and you'd figure out which was highlighted. Just so
0: they didn't gouge the students back then like they do now. No, and well, put them be, in so much yeah, debt.
1: We didn't have so much uh, you know government control over the exactly over the uh, student loans and which has obviously pumped up, uh, tuition.
0: And you met your wife while, while you were in college. Is that right? Uh,
1: yes. Kind I mean, of. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was, uh, it was during that senior year. She was still a senior and I was, uh, Uh,
0: And you got three kids and four grandkids, is that right? Do you love being a grandpa? Is that just the best? Oh, oh
1: yeah. I mean, it's all the joy, none the responsibility.
0: Oh, that's what my mom says.
1: you send them home. Well, you've always heard that the grandchildren are parents' revenge on their children. (laughs) And and, and in all seriousness, listen, raising kids is hard. It is hard. It's hard work. I mean, I I look at it and go, ooh, I'm glad that's over for me.
0: It's with social media and everything and coming through the pandemic uh, I'm so grateful to have you here because I do want to talk about something you did before you were a senator, which is you went to Oshkosh and you started a business. Talk about the business and how that prepared you for being a senator, actually coming from that business background, which I think is lacking sometimes in D.C. Yeah.
1: Well, I started from the ground up. I was brought over by my brother-in-law to keep the books, but I wanted to do everything. So we we literally ran the equipment. It was you a million-dollar, million-and-a-half-dollar piece of equipment, a big piece of uh, plastic uh, extrusion equipment. Uh, so we had to learn how to run it. And it was a continuous shift. So we traded off 12 to 16-hour days for the first year, year and a half, until we trained in a crew. And, you know, uh, drove tow motors, uh, loaded trucks, unloaded trucks. And what and was so, the business? Did what did it do? We, we extruded plastic sheet for packaging
0: applications.
1: Okay, okay. So what what the private sector taught me is the beauty of a free market competitive system, which guarantees three things. The lowest possible price the best possible quality best level of customer service that, that's Makes what a free, a that's sense. what free market discipline does uh, it also taught me how uh, what excellence is because you, you're competing against it uh, it also taught me how hard business was you know I don't think people get that here uh, it, it's hard to f- think of a product that somebody's willing to buy mm-hmm. it's even more difficult to produce it at a cost that you can where you can sell it at a higher price than what it costs you to produce it. That's a hard thing to do. And a lot of businesses go bankrupt because they can't succeed at it. Uh, so I, I think what is really lacking in Washington, D.C., whether it's the bureaucrats in the, in the uh, executive branch or staff members or, you know, unfortunately so many members of Congress they have no experience in, mm-hmm. which means little to no knowledge of and probably m- most important, no sympathy for, the private sector. They, they just look at the private sector as their cash cow. And they also look at business people as, as trying to always take advantage of their employees or their customers. But they, that's not good business. They don't you
0: value can, that they're job creators so what, and community builders. Yeah,
1: and so with the people here in Washington, they, they think they're the the really good angels. They're going to pass all the laws, all the rules, all the regulations to make business people behave properly.
0: And the regulations are so cumbersome, yeah, yeah. especially yeah. in a small business. So I did want to ask you, as you're watching this increasing inflation, as you're watching the gas prices top out at prices that are not just hurting the average family, but also business owners, what would that have meant for your business? And what are you seeing around Wisconsin as you're talking to your constituents about how this is hurting
1: them? Well, first of all, people need to understand this didn't just happen. Exactly. Inflation is caused by...
0: So you know, talk about death,
1: that. Death spending. But you know how I started my business in 1979. So yeah. it, was, it was in the, the middle of... Uh, Carter. Carter's right? stagflation. And the reason I've been predicting stagflation is as soon as really Biden came into office and they passed the $1.9 trillion COVID relief package when you had about a trillion and a quarter dollars still unspent from the previous $4 trillion, okay, um, is because in 1979, 1980, when I was running the business, price increases were just expected and accepted. It's just, the, the only question was, is it going to be 7% or 8% or 10% or whatever? Wow. And then for the next 30 years... After Volker and Reagan had the courage to tame inflation, and it's not easy to do. It, 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 it takes rates. real political courage. You know, mm-hmm. they put our, you know, the economy through a pretty steep recession to tame it. But once they got it under control, for the next three years, it was like pulling teeth getting a price increase. You would have to justify it sixteen ways on Sunday to just get you know a one or two percent price increase. What I noticed at the tail end of the COVID recession, you know exactly. The, the start, if we the, understand why the, the start of the the Biden uh, administration is all of a sudden, those price increases were expected and readily accepted, and that was way back in early 2021. So I thought, okay, we're gonna we've got a real problem here because we're it's starting to feel exactly like it did in 1979, 1980 when I first started our business, and that's it's it's a really bad so place you've for lived this country. This. Yeah, you I understand
0: have. it. And stagflation, for people who don't understand, it's when the economy stops growing, but inflation continues.
1: Right. Yeah. Right? High, in, high inflation and very stagnant stagnant growth. I mean, even, even back then in the 70s, we were growing at
0: 2%, which is better than we just had.
1: Which is, yeah. I mean, we just had, we actually had a 1.4% decrease in our GDP. I mean, this ought to be sending alarm bells off all over the place.
0: And a, a big part of that is abandoning American energy. And Overstimulating the economy with too much stimulus money, and then also the increase for labor.
1: Oh yeah, so I call it the triple whammy. Okay. So so Biden gets into office, his first shot across the bow in his war on fossil fuels was canceling the Keystone XL pipeline. First day, again, day one. They. they have a war on fossil fuel. They are purposely driving up the cost of energy and the cost of gasoline. They don't want to admit it, but that's their game plan. That is the result of their policy. So you have to understand that energy is a component of every product and service you buy. Everything. So that contributes to inflation. Then, of course, you print trillions of dollars of money we don't have, okay? So you're printing money. Inflation is easily defined as too many dollars chasing too few goods. And then you use those printed dollars – to make it possible for people to sit on the sidelines and not re-enter the workforce. So in Wisconsin, we're a big manufacturing state. There's not one manufacturer can hire enough people. They can't fill out their shifts, so they can't meet the demand for their products, and there are even fewer products. And so, then they have to pay
0: people more to work.
1: Precisely. So you got a war on, on fossil fuel. You have too many dollars chasing even fewer goods. That's your triple whammy. This, this was caused by government, bad government policy, Democrat policy.
0: This was directly because of Biden policies. And it's funny that they've tried to blame COVID and then they try and blame the, the war in Ukraine. Yeah. This is the Biden gas hike. This is Biden inflation. This is bad policy. And you get it as a business owner. And I think that's so critical um, th- that you're able to articulate that. How are people in Wisconsin dealing with this right now? I mean, what are you hearing from not, average not well. families? Not this well. is across the country.
1: Yeah, yeah I'm of businesses, literally, they're ordering goods. They don't know when they're going to get them, and they don't know what they're going to pay for them. So when I was in business, price stability was everything. I actually paid higher prices for my resin so that I could offer my customers a stable price over a longer period of time. I mean, stability makes for a better business, makes for a better economy. Instability is awful. And so now you just have a very unstable economy.
0: Do your Democrat counterparts listen to you? I mean, do they say, "Ron, you you started a business no. from scratch"? Do they ever want to hear the real life experience? Do they have any interest in that?
1: No, they're ideologues. Exactly. They, so they, they 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 love big government, and and this you know what the stark contrast in the upcoming election is literally that. Coalition of people that you and President Trump assembled yep. that have one primary attribute in common: they love this country. I mean, they love it, and they know what made it great—not big government, but people like them that get up, go to work, and contribute. Okay, exactly. And versus the Democrats that love big government, uh, are happy to take away your freedom and think they can rule over the rest of us. Again, and they, they, they want they, all
0: the power in their hands. Yeah.
1: and again, they, they've got the attitude that business people are evil.
0: Yeah,
1: that unless you know they don't pass laws and rules and regulation that these business people will always uh, try and take advantage of their employees and their customers. I mean, nothing could be further from the truth. It's so
0: contrary to logic what they're doing. So, what made you leave business and run for Senate? What made you make that leap?
1: Well, this is during the whole Tea Party.
0: Okay, two uh, two thousand ten. Uh, this
1: is well two thousand nine is where you're, okay. you start having the awakening, and you see. Well, first of all, my. My first child, my daughter, Karen, was born with a very serious congenital heart defect. And so the first day of life, a, a wonderful man, Dr. John Thomas, came in, did a procedure on her, saved her life to get her downstream so that she could have open-heart surgery. Eight months later, when her heart was the size of a small plum, in eight hours of open-heart surgery, they rebaffled the upper chain of her heart. Wow! So that, that's, you know, that's 1983. So fast forward, President Obama is trying to sell his Obamacare, and he's talking about doctors being willing to take out a set of tonsils or amputate a foot because they're greedy. They want to make some more money. Now, that's obviously not my experience. I, you know, I don't think you should be degrading or denigrating people who dedicate their lives to saving lives to sell your fantasy of a government-run healthcare system. And it's okay, personal so, to you. So that, that was personal to me. Um, plus, we had the first— Trillion dollar deficit. So we're mortgaging our kids' future. So that combination, and I was asked to give a speech at a tea party in October 2009. They, they wanted me to talk about the harmful effect of government regulation on business. I said, Well, I've, I've never given a speech, I never had, but that's not what I want to talk about. They still said, oh, we need to speak. <laughs> you know? So I told that story about my daughter because I had just heard about President Obama denigrating doctors and it was offensive to me. Yeah. So I gave that speech, and afterwards, people in Oshkosh that had never even no one came up to me. Hey, liked your speech? Why don't you run for office? Because I'm not crazy. <laughs> I mean, who'd want to? Who'd want to subject themselves to this vicious process?
0: It is so. Vicious. But then
1: they passed Obamacare on Christmas Eve of 2009. You know, we had that first trillion dollar deficit, and then I, you know all those people. It kind of starts going through your mind, and the, the same person that uh, had invited me to speak at the tea party was also our county chair. And I asked her, "And you know, Michelle, what, what would you think if somebody like me ran?" decided to run for Senate. And she said, well, I'd love it because you're not crazy. Well, I proved her wrong. I, I was crazy. <laughs> I did. And of course, the first person I met was Ryan's Priebus. He was our he was He's our state party chair. And,
0: an RNC and chair. I guess the rest
1: is, is history.
0: There's a lot of Wisconsin in the RNC and um, and he did a, such a great job. And we're so glad to have you a senator. I think the difference in a lot of the, the backgrounds of the Senate, uh, Republicans that I see is that they did come from business. They did come from actually understanding how the economy works in the real world and how regulation affects businesses. You
1: know, w- one, I actually suggest this in our conference, we ought to do a bunch of video, you know, five to 10 minute videos, and we could title it Humble Beginnings. I love that. Because that's, you take a look at almost every public center, it's they come from, I mean, look at Lindsey Graham. Yeah, or Tim look Scott. Look at Rick Scott. Yeah. You know, Rick James Scott. Ayer, I mean, yeah. the people just come from It's nothing. an amazing
0: group of people. Yes. And we have even more amazing people looking to RUN. So you sit on the Department of Homeland Security. I want to talk about, uh, or the Government Affairs right. Right. Uh, Committee. I want to talk about some of the things that we're seeing uh, with Department of Homeland Security, which which you oversee as well. Uh, when you had Mayorkas testify, you were tough on him. Talk about what you are seeing at the disa- with a disaster at the border.
1: Well, the reason I'm so tough at him is not that I'm just a jerk, okay? <laughs> no, you're very I, nice. I am, I am so upset at what Biden and Mayorkas have done in destroying our border security, dismantling what President Trump worked hard without any help from Congress, really. With no help. I, mean, yeah, I, I will take, much. you know, it, it was my Operation Safe Return that I actually worked out with Kirsten Cinema okay. and DHS— DHS took that, and that kind of morphed into Return to Mexico. Okay. okay. So, I mean, I, I'll claim some the credit for helping Mexico out. The okay. okay. yeah. yeah. Um, that was a consequence. But President Trump had pretty well shut down the flow of unaccompanied children and family family units exploiting our very generous, credible fear standard for asylum, okay? He'd shut it down. Uh, and we were working with Jared on a, what I thought was a really good immigration bill. We would have taken the close to 100 visas down to about six on a merit-based system, had President Trump won re-election. I think that would already be in law. We would have taken care of the DACA kids. We would have a functioning legal immigration system to provide our country with the workers it needs without depressing American wages. I mean, this would I think would have all been based done based on but jobs in, but and instead, what was necessary. Yeah, Biden blew it all up. He's I don't know how he set back immigration reform, I don't know how many years. And of course, now we have this flow. You know, Obama's humanitarian crisis was 2,000 a day. Trump had one month where it was over 4,000. Basically, he was dealing with a little over 3,000 a day during the 2019 crisis. We're up to seven and 8,000 people per day coming to this country illegally. And of course, last year, about a million and a quarter people were processed and dispersed, or they were known gotaways. A million and a quarter, that's a number larger than the the size of Eight states' population.
0: Wow. To Why put are in they? Perspective, w- but what is their what is their rationale for not securing the
1: border? They just again, it, it's beyond me. What but, is New York saying? But say? in their own words, in their own words, there have been plenty of de- Democrat political figures that have bragged about the fact they're bringing people in that they believe are going to be, you know, beholden to them or grateful to them for coming into this country illegally, so they vote for them.
0: Okay. I think the thing that's so interesting is they try and cr- create this mantra or this stigma of Republicans saying it's racist to not have the borders open. And they're, they're really pushing this right now. And I think that's wrong. This is this is not humane for the people coming to our country, too, who are coming into our country being human trafficked, uh, having to hide children that are coming in unaccompanied. Not having a stable immigration policy isn't good for
1: anybody. No, the, the, Their policies are facilitating – a multi-billion dollar business model, some of the most evil people mm-hmm. on the planet. They, they sell children for $84 to create a family unit. Then they abandon them in the fields. Now, how, how do you think a, a young woman pays off her human trafficker? Well, it's she gets definitely. put in sex trafficking, okay? And the, and the other human, uh, involuntary mm-hmm. servitude. So the depredations from this enormous illegal flow... The Biden administration knows it, but they just turn a blind eye toward it.
0: It's not humanitarian. Plus, they're not testing them for COVID or doing vaccines while anybody coming from a plane or from another oh, port yeah. of entry is treated completely differently. So there's no consistency it's, it's in their totally policy. Hip, it's
1: totally hypocritical. And let's face it, they turn everything into race.
0: everything.
1: President Biden, I think eight times during his inaugural address said his number one goal is to unify and heal this nation. He's done the exact opposite. opposite. Exactly. I I listened to President Obama talk about, you know, there's not a blue America, there's not a red America, we're one America. And I I obviously didn't vote for the guy, but I thought when he got elected, well, maybe. You know, some good will come out of this. First African-American president, maybe he will, you know, further our racial healing and we can put this by. We can actually... Uh, achieve the aspiration of Martin Luther King of becoming a colorblind society, judging people by the content of the character versus the color of the skin. But nope, that didn't happen yeah. either. He exacerbated the divide. That's all Democrats do. Look look what the Summer Rights did. Do you think that I've never seen healing? a
0: Democrat in, in in the time I've been in DC Nancy Pelosi, Joe Biden, Chuck Schumer, all they do is double down on division. And they have not done anything to unite. Think to yourself, what is one thing they've done, one overture they've made that really has tried to unify our country? And they take every opportunity to push division. The other thing that you oversee on government affairs um, is this new ministry of t- truth that came under Department of Homeland Security, heavily criticized. They just suspended it. But talk to me about what what this truth ministry would be, big tech st- censorship, which you've been very outspoken on, and what this means for the American people and freedom of speech and freedom of thought, which is a cornerstone of our country.
1: Well, fortunately, we just heard that they suspended it. Fortunately. You know, but only under pressure from conservatives. You know, it was very Orwellian. I mean, it was the ministry of truth. Uh, you know, our First Amendment says Congress shall make no law, you know, abridging freedom of speech. And we've made no law. And so that government, you know, the disinformation governing board would have been uh, obviously abridging free speech. So it's unconstitutional, uh, clearly. But they're brazen. You You know, Ronna, part of the problem we have is that we don't have a unbiased media. Obviously, no. okay. They're not journalists. Most of them, they're advocates.
0: Their opinions for, for
1: the radical left, exactly. And so, Democrats can do just about anything with impunity and get away with it. They never get challenged. Yeah, you know, I remember Obama one time actually got a, a tough question from one of his, you know, allies in the media, and he was like shocked. He just know. Said, you know, his face you know, you,
0: If you ask Joe Biden, do you Biden not, a tough not know question? who
1: I am. Yeah. You're not supposed to do this. Biden so.
0: like will yell at them. He'll just yeah. scream at a reporter if he asks him a tough question. Yeah. It's crazy, but it's it's so true what they've done to suppress free speech. And you've been very outspoken. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna flip back to, to Wisconsin a little bit and talk about something that I think we're seeing across the country, but we're seeing it in Wisconsin too, which is this rise in crime uh, with the embracing of the defund the police Mo- movement, cashless bail. Uh, we've seen Milwaukee have crime. We saw what happened in Waukesha last year. Talk about how this directly comes from Democrat policies.
1: Yeah. Well, you know the the result of you know Ferguson, then also uh, you know the summer riots was you know police were under assault. Mm-hmm. And listen, there there are some bad apples, but the, the people people hate the bad apples in in law enforcement. The worst are other people in law enforcement. Okay, it's a tough job. It's I mean, a they really they tough are risking job. their lives. They lose their lives trying to keep us safe. Uh, but when you have one side of the political aisle uh pitting a target on your back uh saying that they wanted to fund you and then actually defunding you uh making sure that uh, you know cameras are taking pictures of you whenever you're dealing with a really tough criminal yeah. and, and and again f- there's physical uh components, components to it, it yeah. okay and it's going to look bad because you know uh so you could lose your job or you could be put in jail for just trying to defend yourself Uh, That dispirits the police. And so the police take a step back. They stop policing. And then who gets hurt the most? You know, people in the inner city. Yeah. People, you know, the lower end of the income spectrum. They're they're the ones that are the victims of crime. You know, thousands thousands and thousands of murders. I think last year, 17,000 murders. Um, It's so wrong. I mean, every murder is a tragedy, but they all, you know, the Democrats just focus on the very limited number of you know police killings and you know there's plenty of police killings of white people too but they fo- they focus they always go and play the race card on this and it, and the in the people who pay the price for the defunding to police of you know the the demagoguery against the police the low bail no bail policies are people in the inner city the the very the very yeah. people that you know generally generally support democrat candidates and the democrats purport to help their they're hurting just like inflation hurts seniors on a fixed income and people at the lower end of the income spectrum mostly. And
0: they ne- the media doesn't the media doesn't share the whole story. They they don't put it in context. They don't say well there were this many murders or this many police shootings this year and this many, uh you know, probably are under review. Or were unwarranted, and Tim Scott put forward a plan for police reform. The Democrats wholeheartedly rejected it because they don't—they didn't want a solution. No, they
1: just want the wedge issues. They just
0: want the wedge issues, and Wisconsin's dealing with that. Uh, as your, uh, the other thing you've been really focused on and outspoken on has been election integrity, and I know it's something that a lot of voters are worried about heading into 2022. I get asked about it all the time. What are we going to do? We know that 2020 was essentially a mail-in election because of COVID, mm-hmm. and a lot of courts didn't want to have people person to person, so they prevented that critical ID requirement. What do you say to voters to to give them faith that we're gonna uh, that they should come and vote, and that their vote will count in 2022?
1: So I'm on Senate Foreign Relations committees in Europe, and so we're we're always you know putting our nose in other people's business and okay. telling them how to run their election we would not be <laughs> promoting what Democrats promote for us in those other, you know, we'd say that and they
0: pass it. They Let's pass get rid it. of voter ID. Let's make sure that we can have activists go door to door to door and collect thousands of ballots and disrupt this chain of custody. So we're the best thing I would say to people is go work to be a poll watcher yeah. or an election day worker. And the only way you can prevent it is if we have enough people out there working to have eyes on the election and right. working the election and it's all of our duty to do it. And not just you, not just me. All of us have to step up.
1: We're putting on notice that we know what they did. Yeah. Okay. Not, not everything. I mean, they've, they've honed their air quote techniques, okay? <laughs> uh, but but we're, we're watching them. And we, are, we have, do have a lot more poll workers uh, in Wisconsin. We do. Plus we'll have poll observers. Yes. Uh, but we also have to overwhelm them with, with votes. I mean, we need to make sure that everybody that loves this country, that understands that it is on the wrong path right now, gets out and— you know, gives the Democrats a stinging defeat. I mean, sweep them from office in November. What
0: is your message to why you need to be reelected as senator? You are up in a tough election. The Democrats have already spent, what, $25 million against you? They are trying so hard to take you out. We want to make sure you win. How do people give to you, first of all? And then what would be your message as to why— Ron Johnson needs to be re-elected as Senator of
1: Wisconsin. Well, my website is Ron Johnson for Senate.com. Pretty easy to remember. He need give him money. give him money. yeah I, <laughs> I, I, I give you a pretty long list in terms of why he should be reelected. Let, let's start with in 2010. I made two promises. I'll always tell you the truth. I'll never vote with my reelection in mind. I, I won't conduct myself worrying about reelection. I've honored those promises to, to a T, okay. Um, my perspective in Washington D.C. is quite unique. Uh, I I passed pretty much single-handedly, right to try. Yeah, and that is saving people's lives, even in, with COVID. There's a drug with for end-stage COVID called Aviptadil. It's saved dozens of people's lives. Now the FDA is not; they're ignoring it because it's not a patentable drug, so they're not going to recommend it. But it's saving people's lives. I mean, that makes me feel pretty proud. I, I'm because the guy. Because of
0: right to try.
1: I'm the guy during Republican tax reform that realized guys were only cutting taxes for C corps. There's 95% of American businesses, the small businesses, the, the pass-through entities, the mom-and-pop main street businesses that are going to be put at a huge competitive disadvantage. But we only had a score for the 20% tax rate. So I'm the guy that had to dig my heels in, take take the light, late I night. I
0: remember when you I, did that. I, I
1: did take the late night kind of snarly calls from the Oval Office, <laughs> uh, savaged by Wisconsin Talk Radio. It was another grandstanding Republican, but I knew what I was doing was right. I get a lot of credit for it, although, quite honestly, in Wisconsin, they're, they're, the Democrats are using this against me like I carved out some special deal for me. No, my tax cut was claimed by more than 20 million tax filers. I kept small businesses competitive with the big guy. I'm very proud of that. You were, but you were sp- advocating
0: for the small guy, for the they're, little they're, guy. But
1: they're spending $25 million making sound like I'm in it for myself. So you know, listen, I'm a unique voice here. I have a unique perspective. Uh, I don't back down. I'm very tenacious. If I get reelected, I'll be the chairman of the Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations. If we get the majority, and I've right now, I, I've I, I tell people I'm, I, I will be like a mosquito in a nudist colony. It's a target-rich <laughs> environment. Uh, there's a lot of things that I want to. A cover.
0: mosquito in a what? Nudist
1: colony. <laughs> so target-rich. You've never heard that one. No, I've huh?
0: never. Oh, okay. A mosquito in a nudist colony. That's pretty good. Uh-huh. I like that. I know that you are tenacious. I know you tell the truth. I know you tell the truth when it doesn't always benefit you politically because you
1: do it. It it rarely does.
0: Yeah. But you are an advocate for the people you serve and you fight for them every day. And we are so lucky to have you in the Senate. Everyone needs to work as hard as they can to make sure we reelect Ron Johnson. He is going to be in a tough race. He's one of the top targeted senators for the Democrats, and. How important is us taking back the balance of power in the Senate for our it's country? Good. It's
1: crucial. We are, on the, we are on the wrong path. You know, one of the reasons I decided to run again, I, you know, I didn't want to do this. <laughs> I, I was happy 12 years and go home, okay? And my wife really didn't want me to do this. But we're both patriots. And when, COVID, when we started opening up after COVID, as I'm going around the state, and people are literally coming up to me with tears in their eyes or streaming down their cheeks. So you've you got to run. You've got to help us save this country. Okay, and now that I've sided around, now it's just you know we have to save this country. The the, the tears haven't gone away, so you know I I, I stepped up the plate during the Tea Party movement. I feel the concern is what maybe an order of magnitude greater than it was in 2010. I agree. P- people are concerned, and to me, this crosses partisan lines. There there I know there are all kinds of Democrats, Independents that love this country. They have to open up their eyes. They have to understand what their leaders are doing. Again, fundamentally transforming this nation, open borders, record inflation, uh, high gas price—I mean, all—they are fundamentally destroying this country.
0: Getting rid and of freedom of speech, they, and
1: we need Democrats and independents to join us to saving this—you know, this precious thing we call America. I mean, America is so rare and precious, and that's what I'm hearing, in Wisconsin, from from people all over this country. We, we have to save it, and, and we're the ones to do it. No, no, Democrats aren't going to do it. The media is not going to do it. We have to do it.
0: So this is that election. This is, we say it all the time, oh, this is the most important election. This really is that election. I feel that. I I know the angst is out there. I feel it too in my own family, my own, you know, my brother can't get baby formula right now. I mean, uh, 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 the list of crises that we've dealt with under this administration, it's astounding. So- I'm so grateful for you. I feel your love for this country. Thank you for stepping up and serving and leaving a successful business and doing what you do in Wisconsin. And thank you for joining me on my podcast today. Thank
1: you for everything you've been doing for years. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. You've been doing a great job and I appreciate it. Thank you. Let's go win.
0: Let's go win in November. Thanks, Ron. Thank you. I'm Rhonda McDaniel and this is what Republicans stand for. Join us next time on Real America.
1: Paid for by the Republican National Committee, not authorized by any candidate or candidates' committee www.gop.com.